He was almost two at the time. My cousin gave birth to him, but she couldn't raise him. So Liz and I, at that point, were only married for a month uh, when he was born. But we began, uh, we heard of his situation, and we began to pray for him, that God would place him into a Christian home where he could learn about Jesus. In the mornings, Liz and I were reading through the Old Testament, and we kept seeing God's heart for orphans, widows, and foreigners. After continually seeing God's heart for orphans in the Bible, we concluded that maybe we were the family that we were praying for. So we started to pursue him, Jalen, for adoption. Humanly speaking, this didn't make much sense. We were newlyweds figuring married life out. We didn't have any experience parenting because we didn't have children yet. Um, He also was not a newborn at this point. He was walking and would require a lot of us immediately. Uh, And what made this decision even more complicated was um, we were actually considering the mission field. Uh, We had taken some initial steps to become uh, missionaries in Brazil. We were passionate about reaching the unreached and making disciples of the nations. Little did I know that God had different plans for us. His plans, of course, still included making disciples, but in a different way. We'd now make disciples by becoming parents, something we hadn't thought about. Now, the thought, I don't think you get it. The thought of me becoming a parent is laughable, okay? I mean, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I had babysat maybe five times in my life. Um, And I was going to be a dad now. Uh, It seems ridiculous. Uh, And I really had no clue what I was doing, even when I became a parent. And you can ask my wife uh, if you don't believe me. (laughs) But by the grace of God, uh, within a few months of pursuing adoption uh, through CAS, Jalen was placed into our care. Uh, We signed the papers, and he became our adopted son. And we became his mom and dad. And ever since that day, I've been desperately running to parents to learn how to parent. (laughs) I've read books. I've listened to podcasts. I've uh, watched conferences. I've sat with many wise parents who told me about their parenting. My life, all of a sudden, uh, almost at the drop of a hat, was wrapped up in reality, uh, in the reality and responsibility of parenting. And I've found that there's no shortage of information out there when it comes to parenting. Maybe you've noticed this as well. For example, when I searched parenting books on Amazon this week, it came back, listen here, I'm telling you the truth, it came back with more than 100,000 results. (laughs) In fact, there's so much information out there, even within the church, that considering how to parent our own kids can be confusing. Uh, For instance, when it comes to getting your baby to sleep through the night, Google it and you'll find that there are six popular methods out there right now. But most of them contradict each other in some way. (laughs) So what do you do? Uh, And uh, not to mention the fads for parenting seem to go in and out like diets and fashion styles. You can look at older parenting books and the newer parenting books. You see that there's fads. There's there's, uh, fashions, it seems, to parenting. And considering this cultural maze and craze over parenting formulas and my own desperation to figure out how to parent my own son, I've also found it confusing when I see how scripture speaks about parenting. 
Here's what I mean. In contrast to our culture, uh, where we crave six uh, six steps to successful parenting, Scripture approaches parenting uh, in a surprising way. And it's not that Scripture doesn't speak to parents or about parenting, but it speaks about it in a countercultural way. It shows us that parenting, as God defines it, isn't about how to fix our kids. It's about showing and telling our kids what a follower of Christ looks like. So if you come to Scripture expecting to find tips to fix your kids by Friday, you'll be disappointed. But that says more about you and your expectations than it does about God and his word. Because think about it, Scripture isn't about us, our family, or our parenting styles. It's about the Lord, his family, and his fatherhood. Oftentimes we may think of parenting and discipleship in separate categories, right? But what if that's not the way God thinks about it? Or the way he wants us to think about it? What if parenting is one of the ways God wants us to make disciples in this world? One of the things I hope to show you today is that God's word gives us good news of a father who parents and adopts his children into his family. And I think that the good news of this good father is meant to motivate and shape us and shape the way we parent the children in our own families, whether they're adopted, biological, or both. I'm becoming more and more convinced that a biblical view of parenting will follow the pattern of God our Father. He is the truest and best parent of all, isn't he? And I think Parenting his way will include a constant reference to the way he fathers us. He parents us as believers. He parents us perfectly. And this good news of our Heavenly Father's care for us gives us new lenses for caring for our children. Believing parents, hear this today. You have the privilege and responsibility to show and tell your children the most important things in life. I have in mind here the gospel, the great commandment, and the great commission. This morning we're going to see that believing parents are responsible to live, love, and speak in ways that reflect our Heavenly Father to our children. And as you jot that down, let's begin by praying. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth and the light and the hope that we get in your word. I pray that as we think of this extremely practical topic for especially those who are Christian parents here today, that each one of us, whether we're parents or not, would sense the good news of your fatherhood is so good that we can't keep it in. And that we as believers would want to tell others, whether it's our children, our neighbors, or whoever, about this good God. I pray that your spirit will guide us today as we consider this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at a familiar passage. We've already read it from Deuteronomy 6, uh, a passage which shows parents their responsibility to their kids before the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is a, a, a familiar passage for those of uh, you who have been parenting probably and, and, and sought to raise your children in a, in a godly way. 
And as we'll see, the emphasis in Scripture as it come, when it comes to parenting is not that parents impose their beliefs on their kids, but that believing parents who have been impressed with the Lord and his word will in turn impress his word on their children. We must impress upon them what's already been impressed upon us. So our walk with the Lord is not something that's meant to be removed from parenting. It's, it's, it's absolutely critical that we must focus in on that, our walk with Christ. So let's consider Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So from this text, I think we see that believing parents are responsible to show and tell their children wholehearted devotion, sorry, wholehearted love for the Lord. Wholehearted love for the Lord. Here's the Old Testament foundation for the great commandment that we hear in the New Testament. God's people were to be wholehearted in their love for him. The point, I think, in Deuteronomy 6 seems to not only be that there is only one true God in the world, though this is true and though the world has many false gods in it, But the point seems to be that this God, the Lord, is the only God and only he is to be worshipped by his people. He's the one and only God and he's the one and only one we're to live for. Now, how are we to do this? How are we to live for the Lord? And as you read the passage, you see that we're to love him with all our heart, soul, and might. Right? All our affections, our energy, and our strength are to be poured into loving this good God. There's one God, and we're to love only him with all our whole being. And our love for God is, is meant to spill into other relationships as well. In the home, yes. In the neighborhood, yes. And wherever we go and whatever we do. Now, this text was originally addressed to Israel in the Old Testament, God's covenant people. And Israel, um, on occasion in the Old Testament, was called God's son. He called them out of Egypt, his son. Israel is God's son, and as his son, they are a people who teach their children about God their father. And we get way more information about God our father in the New Testament as we keep reading. But they are to do this telling their children about God their Father by continually telling them the Scripture um, and, and, and instructing them in the Scripture from their heart in their home. The passage seems to show us that godly instruction is not merely instruction, it is a lifestyle. Children are to learn what a disciple of Christ looks like as they observe one in their parent. Parents are to day by day immerse their children in God's word. You see that. It's it's teaching them God's truth as they live by it. But it's done in many different ways, right? It's not just sitting your children down and reading your favorite theology book to them. 
It's, it's instructing them diligently, absolutely. And it's also casual, right? We, we saw that in the passage. It's, it's sitting down and standing up and walking with them. It's constant day-by-day day, immersion in the Word of God. And that seems to create a culture in the home where the Lord and His Word is esteemed highly, right? I like what Paul Tripp says. He says, The Bible's definition of success is to love God above all else and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not enough to train your children to, love, uh, sorry, to live in isolation from the world. That is a fake safety and a selfish choice. God says he wants me in the world, but not of it. Neither is it safe to assimilate, because then I become like everybody else. We have to be able to live successfully within the culture without picking up its God-denying values. I want to teach my kids to think in a God-centered way and give them analytical skills to understand the culture. I want to help them recognize light from darkness. I want to show them where they can participate in society and where they must withdraw. My job is to start with my own kids and create a mini-culture at home. So believing parents here today, teach your children how to love the Lord your God with all their heart by loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Show them by example what a relationship with Christ really looks like. Teach them that half-heartedly following Jesus is not following Jesus. Teach them that they are to internalize the truth of Christ for themselves. And if they believe the truth of Christ for themselves, that they're to share it with others. Parenting biblically considers both the man-to-man relationships in our home and in our life, and the God-to-man relationship in our heart through faith. Because God relates to us as our Heavenly Father, doesn't he? And in the New Testament, fathers are addressed directly. And I think this is because the father of the home represents or misrepresents the father of mercies. So let's consider the two commands to fathers in the New Testament and see how they represent the Heavenly Father to their children, to their homes. You see in Colossians 3, verse 21, fathers are addressed directly. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And then in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So scripture, scripture reminds us here not to irritate or provoke our kids lest they become discouraged. And how might we provoke or irritate our kids? Well, here's a couple ways I'm personally tempted and sometimes do irritate my kids. Maybe you can relate. Nagging, yelling, ineffective discipline, ignoring them, or avoiding them. You with me? Now, I know parenting is hard, right? But we as Christian parents who have the Spirit are to approach our children differently. We offer our kids not just good words about the good Lord, but we offer them possibly the greatest ministry of all, the ministry of presence. Parenting, I believe, is primarily a ministry of godly presence in our children's lives, isn't it? You cannot influence your children towards godliness if you're never home with them, right? 
Again, the, the fatherhood of God is our pattern and example. He is with us as a father, is with his son. So as Christian parents, we're to be present with our kids to model and instruct them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? This is, this is how we make disciples out of them. Discipline and instruct them. Now, in our day, it's not cool to discipline your children. But let's remember that the fatherhood of God is our pattern for parenting. Our pattern is meant to reflect him. So does God ever dis discipline his children? Did he ever in biblical history discipline his people? Yes. Does he do so today? Yes. At times, does it seem severe to us? Yes, with our limited vantage point, it does. Was his discipline out of a heart that loves his children? Yes. Always. Remember what Hebrews 12 says about the Lord's fatherly loving discipline of his people. It says he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. This is verse 10 and 11 of Hebrews 12. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So disciplining our children is a way of training our children. So parents, you're called by God, the authority of Scripture, to exercise godly discipline of your children. It's a training mechanism that God has given you, you the responsibility to use carefully. But don't use this as an excuse for abuse or misusing them uh, because you have temporary authority over your children. And you too will give an account to the Lord for your parenting. Now, as we consider this, there are many examples of parents who blew their assignment in the Bible. And one of the famous ones is Eli the prophet. Remember this guy? His children were Hophni and Phinehas. If you want, you can turn to First, uh, sorry, First uh, Samuel, um, and uh, you you got this guy named Eli. He had children, Hophni and Phineas, and uh, the Bible doesn't cast Eli in the greatest light at all, uh, not in a positive light at all. He was a priest in Israel, however, and his sons were also involved in priestly duties. Right, so we would say he was involved in ministry. Now, he held a place of spiritual leadership in the covenant community, um, but his parenting was atrocious, <laughs> and, and God calls him out for it. Now, here's a little profile of what his sons were up to, okay? His sons got around sexually with different women, it says. They ate the meat of the sacrifices in sacrilegious ways. Uh, they were involved in ministry, yet they lived in immoral ways, and the Bible actually calls them worthless men. Wow. God was not pleased with them. And what was it about Eli's parenting that was so terrible? Well, God says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 29, 29, that Eli honored his sons above the Lord. It says he honored his sons above me. And then it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13 of Eli... I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Okay. So what's the problem with Eli? 
What's the problem with Eli's son? What's the problem with Eli? First, he cared more about honoring his sons than he did about honoring the Lord. In our day, we may say, he wanted to be a friend of his kid and turned a blind eye towards his child's sin. And the second problem with Eli is that he knew his, uh, his kids were blaspheming God and he didn't restrain, him, restrain them. Now, this is the fine print of this, of this narrative. Because as you read the story about Eli, you may actually think that Eli did some good things. And there was some things that he did. In fact, you read the story and you see that Eli did rebuke his kids. He told them to stop doing what they were doing and blaspheming God. But what's the problem? Here's the problem. He didn't stop them when he could have and should have. He did not restrain them. And what does God say? He did not restrain them. He just spoke to them and they refused to listen to him. Then he let it go. Okay, I told them. That's it. Yes, they were making choices and deciding for themselves whom they will serve. Absolutely. But so was he. As a father, he neglected to put consequences in place for his children's sin. And because of that, God saw him as a part of the problem. One author explains Eli's predicament this way. Eli was a priest who held a place of great spiritual privilege, but God judged him for his permissive parenting. He saw both of his sons die in their rebellion because he had honored his sons above God. Eli did not like their sin, but he reprimanded them ineffectively. God made it clear that he became a part of their sin when he did not rebuke them effectively. So parents... The Holy Spirit has given us courage to do hard things. And parenting is a hard thing to do. But be courageous in the power of the Holy Spirit in your parenting. Discipline and instruct your children to listen and obey God's word. And insist that your children listen and do what you say, unless God forbid you're telling them to sin against God. And if they don't listen to you when you rebuke them, put consequences in place, lest you fall into the same trap as Eli, being a permissive or passive parent, saying the right things but not disciplining effectively when lines are crossed. Honor the Lord above your children. Don't just try to be their friend. Now, this is not an easy task. It requires help from a community. It requires a lot of emotional effort and perseverance. Absolutely. So ask for prayer when your kids rebel. Don't try to keep it private or keep it a secret. Ask for prayer. And they will rebel because, well, they're like us, rebels by nature, right? Okay, now we can see that being a father is a high calling. Being a parent is a high calling. It's, uh, it, it follows the pattern of God as Father. We represent Him to our kids. Absolutely. But Scripture also talks about the significance and responsibility of mothers. Often in Proverbs, we hear verses like this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Scripture shows that parenting is a joint effort. 
between mom and dad. And a whole sermon series could be preached on the significance of godly mothers in Scripture and throughout history. God places a tremendous amount of honor and importance on motherhood. And on that note, what if you're a single mother here today? First, we see you. Second, you have an extremely important and difficult task of shouldering the responsibilities of both parental roles. And at times, parenting and raising disciples in your home may seem overwhelming and impossible to you. But know that you are not alone. If you're a believer, the Lord is your husband who walks with you, present with you. The Lord is your father who cares for you even as you care for your children. He loves you and he sees you. Now, I think we're starting to get a sense that parental responsibilities are heavy, aren't they? So let's consider a few practical ways we might uh, disciple our kids at home. Now, I'm going to address you believing parents directly. And if you're not a believing parent here today, I trust God's word will still provide encouragement and instruction for you. So first... To the believing parent, here's a responsibility. Show and tell your children that the gospel is the remedy for human lostness. I believe you and I have the responsibility to do this, to to show and tell our children that the gospel is the remedy for human lostness. Now, do you remember the parable of the lost sons in Luke chapter 15? Powerful parable there. I think the point of this parable was not only to show us the lostness of the young prodigal son, but also to show us that both of these sons were lost. The elder and the younger brother. We typically typically miss the, uh, the elder son because the detail of the younger son's lostness is so scandalous, Right? He blows his inheritance, the younger son goes, he, 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 uh, he gets lost in a life of godless immorality, he's careless, reckless, and rebellious, it's obvious that he has rejected the Lord. And yet, the elder son had rejected the Lord too. He was lost too. He was lost in a different way of life, in a godless morality and a religious hypocrisy. He was resentful when his father extended mercy to his once lost brother. His heart wasn't for his father. He pushed him out of his life. These brothers signify two extremes of human lostness. Uh, One we may call a Pharisee and the other we may call immoral. But I think the point is to show us that both these sons are lost and will only be saved through the gospel of grace. So parents, if we believe the gospel, we need to be crystal clear with ourselves and with our children about the gospel. Everyone is lost, including our little Johnny or our little Jenny. And only those who admit they're lost and come to the cross of Jesus will be saved. There's no salvation or remedy from our lostness outside of Christ. So Christian parents, teach your children that being a disciple means they must personally follow Jesus. 
Teach them also that they can be good moral kids and still be lost. Insist that they come to terms with their own lostness and understand that they need a real Savior because they, like us, are real sinners. Insist that they be converted even though they come to church with you. Insist that they don't depend on their Bible knowledge or anything else to save them. Only Jesus Christ. Because only in Jesus are we saved and found from our lostness. I love what Jerem Barr says. He says, Christ did not come to bring religious devotion or spiritual discipline or even an ethical code, though a life of devotion and moral beauty will come as fruits of knowing him. Rather, he came to substitute his moral perfection for our moral failures and to bear our deserved penalty by his death on our behalf. Life, godliness, spirituality, and goodness come to us only as we hold out to him the empty hands of faith and as we begin to love him in response to his love for us. Any other message should be an abomination to us for it is a different gospel. So Christian parent, get the gospel right for yourself first and for your parents, or sorry, and for your children. Jesus loves sinners that he died and rose again for them. That his moral perfection is our only remedy for our moral failures. Have you trusted in him? Have you called on him to save you? If you haven't, whether you're a parent or a child here today, you can come to him today. For salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And to the parent with the son or daughter who's spiritually lost, wandering as a prodigal, we might say. You may feel ashamed even to bring the, the name of your children up at church because their lifestyle is at odds with God's ways. Keep praying for your prodigal to come home. And if they won't come home, share this with others so they too can pray for you as you pray for them. Now here's the thing, scripture doesn't give us a guarantee that if we follow Christ, our kids will too. Right? We don't hope in that. We hope in the Lord. We, we try to commend Christ to our children, but they have a responsibility to respond to him personally. But the burdens of seeing a prodigal go away from Christ and walk in the darkness is a great burden. So don't bear this burden alone. Share it. Continue to ask for brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you as you keep trusting the Lord for the spiritual life of your children. If they have breath, there's time for them to come to Jesus. Now before we move on, let me say one more thing directly to parents. Believing parents you are also responsible to show and tell your children how to be in the world, but not of the world. Remember the Great Commission, right? We've talked about the Great Commandment, the Gospel. Now we're going to consider the Great Commission. Jesus sends his disciples into the world with a, a, a commission, a mission to make disciples in the world, right? 
In John 17, Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. And in John 20, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now notice, Jesus does not tell us to run or retreat from the world that we live in. In fact, to make disciples in this world, we must engage with this world in this world. And if we're trying to make disciples out of our children, uh, Jesus' way, uh, and they've come to Jesus, then we'll need to show them and give them opportunities to engage with the unbelieving world, won't we? How can we reach the world that we live in if we're not actually speaking or in relationships with any worldly people? Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't exercise discernment, especially when our children are young, okay? Knowing that they will be influenced by the people that they hang around with and the company they keep. So discretion, wisdom, is required. But I am, I am suggesting that parents who follow Christ will tell unbelievers about Jesus. And as they do this, if their children have come to believe in Christ as their Lord, hopefully they'll catch their parents' desire to evangelize, and they'll do the same. And you might be surprised at who's teaching who how to evangelize as your children go and do this. And who's teaching who who's courageous. <laughs> I know I've been greatly challenged by my children in this. Now remember what Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 5, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So our kids will learn how to engage with the world as they watch us engage with the world. It's doing good towards the world, brings glory to God our Father. Evangelizing the world brings glory to God our Father. But this does mean that we need to get into the thick of life and relationships and conversations with people who are lost in the darkness. It may be uncomfortable to think of how you will put this into practice. But we live for Christ, not comfort, right? Or do we? And it's what Jesus calls us to do, isn't it? Commenting on Matthew 5, Jerem Bars says, Jesus challenges us in these words to live our lives in the world where unbelievers can see how we live. He does not want Christians to retreat from the world and from non-Christians. He wants us to live before men. Many of us are tempted to hide our light, to make ourselves secure and comfortable by surrounding ourselves with Christian friends and Christian culture. But this is clearly not what Jesus has in mind for us. His two images, salt and light, demand a life that is to be lived in the world and applied to the world. Out in the darkness where there is no light. Out where the savoring salt is needed to make the food tasty. These images and Jesus' use of them require Christians to be in the world and not simply in the church. 
They require us to be with non-Christians and not simply with fellow believers. Faithful biblical evangelism cannot take place unless Christians take these words of Jesus to heart. Well, that's challenging. Let's see and, and pray about how the Lord might use this in our lives. Okay, we've talked about parenting for the last several minutes, and uh, I've not exhausted the theme of parenting by any means, uh, but at this point, I think many of us are just plain exhausted. And uh, if you want to talk more about this theme of parenting, I'll encourage you to open up your Bible, or sorry, open up your bulletin, and uh, join the small group coming up next month. Uh, the details are in that. You can talk about the more specifics as uh, it relates to your family and your parenting. But that's it for parenting at the moment. We're going to now look at some of the things that, uh, sorry, we've looked at some of the things that believing parents are responsible for. But what are our children responsible for? Children, too, have a responsibility according to the Lord and his word. And here it is. Children are responsible to learn from, observe, and obey their imperfect parents. I get this from both uh, Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. So Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So while not all of us are parents here today, every one of us is a child who has or has had parents, right? Maybe your parents are deceased, but you have had parents in your life. And this verse um, needs to be approached with caution because this very verse has at times been twisted by parents to justify their abusive behavior towards their children. And this is, a shame, this is shameful behavior, and it's not the intent of the verse at all. But this passage does call children to obey their children. Or sorry, uh, children to obey their parents. Something we may cringe at hearing, right? But we shouldn't. After all, Jesus himself was the perfect son of God. He never sinned, and yet his whole life was marked by obedience to his heavenly father, earthly parents, and the word of God. He provides for us children here a pattern to follow as well. God's word says children are to obey God and their parents. They live under the Lord's care as they live under their parents' care. And this pleases the Lord. However, there is an exception. If parents are pressuring their children in any way to disobey the Lord or sin against him, children, whatever your age, you are to obey the Lord first. Your loyalty is towards God the Father. And if your parents are telling you to do something, you need to find the appropriate way to tell others about that, pressuring you to do something against God and his word. Now, we cannot take all the caveats to the complications of uh, uh, family life and, and, and different families uh, in here today. So I just want to say, if you want to talk more specifically about your family situation, come see me afterwards or send us an email. Okay, so scripture is clear about what parents and children are responsible for. But as we look at our own homes, um, we might think, huh, putting this into practice is going to be harder than it looks or harder than it sounds. And I think it is. 
But I like what Jim Neuweiser says. He says, no one's home is what it should be because no one's home is free from sin. All of our homes are dysfunctional to a certain extent because all of us fail to function in the ways that God has commanded, parent, commanded parents and children alike. The good news is that God can overcome each of these problems through his son. God's sovereignty and mercy are our only source of hope, not our children, our parenting skills, our spouse, not the books or articles we read, not our prayers. Wow. God's sovereignty and mercy is our only source of hope. Now, much of this sermon has been focusing on what parents and children are responsible for. And as you consider your own imperfect families and the, and the cracks in your character and, and your children's character, uh, I wanted to leave you with hope now. Hope in the sovereignty of God. Hope in the sovereignty of God over all your imperfections as a parent. And I want to look at a an imperfect disciple from an imperfect family named Timothy to do so. So if you uh, have a Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me. Here we're going to see that God is at work in, over, and through both children and parents. Scripture tells us that Timothy was Paul's true child in the faith. It also tells us that Timothy's mom was a Jewish believer, Yet it appears that his dad was likely not a believer. So Timothy grew up in a home where scripture was taught, but his family dynamics were much like ours, complicated. Though scripture played a role in his home life, it appears, in his childhood, it's likely that the situation had its problems. Can you relate to this? And over Timothy's situation, God sovereignly went to work. He worked through the many complications in Timothy's life, and dare I say your life, not only to bring him to Christ, but to make him into a disciple and then a pastor. As you read pieces of Timothy's story in the New Testament, it seems that it goes something like this. Okay, so Paul brought the gospel to him, his grandma and his mom, uh, shared the gospel to them in Lystra. You can read about this in Acts 14. Uh, and then we're going to read more of his story as we continue to consider 2 Timothy. Um, Paul sends this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, who at this point was pastoring a church in Ephesus. Paul reminds his child in the faith of some important things. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Okay, so we're trying to put the story of Timothy back together here. Apparently the faith that his grandma had was modeled and passed down to his mom. And God used his grandma and mother to show him a life of devotion to the Lord. But what caused his faith? Well, let's keep reading in chapter 1, verse 9. It says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So God used many means and people to bring Timothy to himself, including Paul, but ultimately, salvation is of the Lord. He saves us because of his own purpose and grace. And how did Timothy get saved? Well, now we're going to move to chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. 
We get the answer here. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here it is. God sovereignly works in, over, and through people and through his word. He uses and used the godly influence of parents and grandparents in Timothy's life to bring him to faith in Christ. Parents, maybe you've had the joy of sharing the gospel with your children and leading them to Christ, and what a privilege that is. But some will not have that privilege. And like Timothy's mom, you'll lead by example for years, sharing scripture, telling your children about scripture, and then someone like Paul will come along, preach the gospel, reinforcing the faith that you told them about, and then they'll come to faith in Christ. And amen, right? God is sovereign. One plants, one waters, but God gives the growth. Our faith is passed down as we share the scripture, the sacred writings with others. But notice that salvation doesn't automatically come because someone spoke scripture to us, immersed our household with it. No. Verse 15 says, Scripture makes us wise for salvation. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. It's through faith in Jesus that salvation comes to our children or to anyone who hears the gospel. God brings salvation to his people when they believe in Christ. God is sovereign to save, absolutely. And humans are responsible to believe, absolutely. Now, some of you can can relate to Timothy. You heard of Christ from childhood through a parent or a grandparent who shared scriptures with you. And their faith became your faith because God opened your heart to receive the gospel. And praise the Lord for that. And others here are like me. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe uh, you grew up like me with loving parents who didn't follow Jesus. And yet God brought you to himself through a friend or someone else. And praise the Lord for that. However the gospel came to you, this passage reminds us that discipleship, much like the gospel itself, is meant to be outgoing and cyclical, continually moving out. And God sovereignly works to bring the message home to our hearts in ways that he sees fit. There is no obstacle that the Lord our God cannot overcome. So as we close, let's summarize what we've seen. When it comes to raising disciples in our home, parents are responsible to model and speak in ways that resemble our Heavenly Father to their kids. Children are responsible to obey parents, which resembles the obedience of Christ. And God is sovereign over, in, and through all the complicated and imperfect parent-child dynamics. And I pray that this leaves you with hope as you face the week ahead. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we need you. We call on you now and ask that your spirit would fill us, that you would encourage those who are discouraged right now with the prospects of continuing in parenting difficult children, disobedient children, or children who they just don't understand. 
We pray for your word to continue to refresh and strengthen your people in their faith in Christ. And we pray for your, your spirit to open the hearts of the children and the children's ministry even now that are meeting downstairs, that there would be many more children that come to faith in Christ, that they grow wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.